Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Okay, so you've got a great organization, you're doing all the right things, you've got a fantastic mission, but how do you get the word out? How does the community even know you exist? How can you get some publicity? And can the publicity be free, perhaps? Well, this is the age-old commentary of the nonprofit world. After all, in the world of news, saying goes, if it bleeds, it leads, meaning they look for the sensational news and not always the good news, like the things that your nonprofit is doing. Sad but true. So let's start with the basics. Do you know how to get in touch with the media? Do you know who to contact? Do you have a list of media contacts? Do you know how to approach the media? This is a long list and there's a lot more questions to ask and we're going to try and answer these and all of the other questions with our guest Kimberly Lohman Clapp. Kimberly is the founder and CEO of Golden Hour Communications. She's got an extensive background in public relations, which is why we invited her here today. She's been a television and radio news anchor, winner of five Emmys, two Edward R. Murrow Awards for Journalistic Excellence, several AP Broadcaster Awards. She's been featured on MSNBC, The Weather Channel, and countless other broadcast outlets. And now she focuses much of her attention in helping nonprofits. That's exactly why we invited her to join us here today from her home in Washington, D.C. Kimberly, welcome to Impactability. Hi, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. It is so great to have you. I love your resume. Oh my gosh, I love your resume. (laughs) Kimberly, looking at your resume, there's so many wonderful things that you've been involved in in the news media for so many years. So I'm wondering why, after all the years you've worked in the media, you decided to focus your energies on serving nonprofits? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, for most of my broadcasting career, I was a consumer and investigative reporter, and I focused on exposing products, practices, people who could harm you, basically. And my goal was really to empower people with information. And I was drawn to stories that would make a difference in people's lives. And that's the essence of every nonprofit. I've always taken the journalist creed very seriously. I don't know how many people know there is a journalist creed. Everybody knows the Hippocratic Oath, but in the creed, we promise to seek to give every human a chance. And to me, that means giving voice to the voiceless. And a lot of nonprofits do amazing work that people haven't heard much about. Mm -hmm. Another part of that creed states the supreme test of good journalism is the measure of its public service. So working with nonprofits just makes sense to my journalistic training and my values. Mm. So let's get into our questions by answering the most basic one. We hear this all the time, Kimberly, and I know you've heard it a thousand million times. Why won't the media pay any attention to us? (laughs) Kimberly, good luck answering that one. Right, right. I, I mean, it's easier than ever to get your story out there because there's so many ways to do it. The main issue to answer your question directly is what's important to you may not be newsworthy to others. I mean, you may be in love with your mission, your work, but what's the news value? Is it new? Is it innovative? Is it the biggest? Probably most important though, is it connected to what's going on in the news cycle right now? 
for example, breaking ground on a new building may be incredibly important to you, the biggest investment of your life, but it's going to be much more appealing for a reporter to cover if it's a rehab center in a place where the opioid crisis has taken hold and you can tie all of that together. Um, Joe, if I could, here's a recent real life example. My uncle up in St. Petersburg, Florida, passed away around Thanksgiving, like many Americans. Um, he had a heart procedure, he was vaccinated, but then he had to recover in a Florida nursing home where healthcare workers weren't required to be vaccinated. He got a mild case of COVID, his heart could not recover. So this was obviously one of the most personally painful things to me. I thought the policy was outrageous. But those two things alone wouldn't necessarily get news coverage. It, it, it doesn't meet the test of, is it new, right? This was happening to a lot of families. My uncle had grown up in Miami, so I wanted to get some kind of news in the Miami Herald. So I read the paper online. I saw that the big story of the moment was cruise ships were pulling into Miami ports because passengers had COVID. And it occurred to me, wow, you have to be vaccinated to work on a cruise ship or ride on a cruise ship, but you don't have to be vaccinated to work in a Florida nursing home. And so that connection, I made that connection. And I think that's why the Miami Herald published my letter to the editor, not because I loved my uncle deeply or because of what I thought was an outrageous policy, um, but because the story was tied into the big story of the day. Wow, that is great work. And I, I salute you for that. That is outstanding. Let's talk about the basics, the press release. What do we need to know about writing one that will actually get noticed by the news director or the news editor or somebody in the media? It's not a golden ticket anymore. I mean, when there was only one way to get information, say pre-1999, a press release was a fine way to get coverage. But there are so many ways people get information now. I mean, police stations are giving out official quotes over Twitter. You know, who ever imagined that kind of world? I see the press release as one step in about five steps. First, you have the press release, then you have a follow-up call, then you have a follow-up email, then you get the word out on your own social media, you get it out on your website. I mean, unless the press release comes in the middle of a really hot news story, in the middle of a protest, in the middle of a national conversation, it can only be one step. If you want someone to cover your nonprofit and the work you do while you're writing a press release, you've got to have a headline that's eye-catching. You need to tie it to what's happening in the world. You want to make sure you have people lined up who are willing to share how they've been helped specifically. And this sounds very basic, but you want to clearly state your contact information so no one has to go digging for it. I mean, how many times have you gone to a website and you're like, where is the phone number? <laughs> so you want to make it easy. Mm -hmm. I do want to add a downside of a press release is if a reporter wants an exclusive story, you may have kind of undermined that by putting it out there for everyone to see. Of course, that's a good problem to have. You can cross that bridge when you have five reporters clamoring for your story, and then you can decide if it's best placed with one or all. Which is exactly the segue that I was looking for to our next question, which is the media contacts list. Because what you just described is exactly why someone should put one together. So who should be on that list? How do you, how do you put it together and who should be on that list? Again, media is multi-platform now. So I see a media contact list in three 
prongs, if you will. Number one, you have the traditional media, the newspapers, the magazines, the radio, the TV news. Of course, it's good to know an editor or a reporter at each outlet, especially the reporter if they have a beat like education or a column about doing good work in their community. The second prong, you have the non-traditional, the homegrown media like podcasters and bloggers who can have a very targeted and very engaged audience. So it might not be as widespread, but engaged and targeted uh, can be very helpful. And then third, you have your own media. You have your Twitter, your LinkedIn, your Facebook, your Instagram, your own website, your own blog, and your smartphone, which can take incredible photos, incredible video. I mean, I, I did a report about how Americans can legally travel to Cuba and shot the entire story on my iPhone. So when I say it's easier than ever to get your story out there, it's because so many of the tools to capture it and to share it are in our hands. So I've heard this saying before, this term, if you will, how do I pitch a story? Pitching a story is a craft. It takes a lot of time. I think it's very worthwhile to spend money on a PR person who will help amplify your message and your mission. So you can focus on your service and you can focus on your product and the PR person can do the dirty work of writing the stories, writing the pitch, writing the press release, making the phone calls and building those relationships. Uh, it can just be so valuable. And, you know, it's a little bit like teaching someone to fish and fishing for them. You know, you want to let people do the great work that they do and have someone help you pitch that great work. Yeah. But let's be clear, though, they still might not show up the day of my event, right? There is never a guarantee. A hurricane could come, a Supreme Court decision could come down, but I always tell my clients, we are prepared to cover it ourselves. Kind of back to that point of all the tools are already in our hands. We're going to take our own video if they don't show up. We'll take our own pictures. We will do our own write-up. We'll share it on social media. Uh, we'll put it in our monthly newsletter. You know, Just because the media doesn't show up doesn't mean we can't get the word out. Let me switch gears a little bit, Kimberly. Does it help to have an official spokesperson at my nonprofit? And if you think so, then who should that person be? This is such a good question, Joe. It's a complicated question. I think a communications director is probably more valuable than a spokesperson. Someone who finds the right person to talk and not necessarily does the talking. So when I was a reporter, I didn't want to interview the police spokesperson. I wanted to interview the officer who shot the gun. Reporters want to talk to the people who have the firsthand experience, not people that they might perceive will whitewash information. So if you're a big organization, you probably do have to have an official spokesperson. So, you know, your messaging is crisp and it's controlled and you have a face of the organization. But if you're smaller, the person who talks to the media should be connected to the cause. It helps if they personally have a good story. Are they compelling? When they, are they high energy? Are they pleasant to listen to? That's not always the CEO. It's not always the smartest person. And it doesn't always have to be the same person. You know, even though I was on TV for a long time, I'm comfortable being interviewed. In PR, my goal is to try to empower the best person who has the best connection to the cause and then prepare them for the interview. Before we move on to the next topic, Kimberly, is there anything else we need to talk about regarding 
the press release, like measuring results, for instance? How do you measure results? I think there are some people who are so results oriented. I'm not really one of them because I think there's so much luck and subjectivity into what gets covered. And so, you know, a powerful newspaper article might reach thousands or even millions of readers. But then a mention in the local free magazine might lead to a big donation, which is more valuable to you. You know, maybe getting a TV interview, um, as we discussed, you get the TV interview, but then the reporter doesn't focus on what you wanted them to focus on. Um, but then you can always share that video out and add those details and facts that you think they missed. So, you know, getting any coverage builds credibility and then you continue to shape the messaging afterward. I'm just a really big believer in the big picture strategy where you're constantly building, you're staying on target with your messaging. And I'm an optimist that you will grow your organization. You will get the spotlight. You will help more people. But I don't think that comes as a result of bean counting or measuring, oh, this did well, this didn't do well. But what was the weather that day? What was the political climate that day? What was the news cycle that day? There's so many factors that go into whether something catches fire or not. Fantastic answer. Our guest today is Kimberly Lohman Clapp, and we're talking about how to get your nonprofit some much needed publicity. Now, it's not easy, obviously, but you can be successful at PR for your organization. There's more to it than just the press release, as we're discussing. And when we come back, we're going to continue that discussion, along with the top tips that you should be following to get your organization noticed for free. You are listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm Joe Turner. We'll be right back. Sometimes there's just not enough hours in the day to get the work at your nonprofit done. Sukup Strategic Solutions can help. We handle all kinds of projects, especially the ones you can't seem to get to. Fundraising, marketing, grant writing, communications, and more. With Sukup Strategic Solutions, you'll have a team of nonprofit professionals working for you. You'll have more hands on deck, reduce overhead, and increase efficiency. For a free consultation on how we can help lighten the load at your nonprofit, visit SukupStrategicSolutions.com. Maximize your impact with Sukup Strategic Solutions. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner, and we're speaking with our guest, Kimberly Lohman Clapp, about getting publicity for your nonprofit. Stay tuned because immediately following our discussion, we're going to have another edition of Coach's Corner. So excited for that, so stay tuned. Kimberly, at the top of the program, we talked about your extensive background in media, having done countless stories, both sensational and emotional. And yes, I did see the Cuba story too, which was fantastic. Can you tell us about a time when the right PR made a big difference for one of your clients? In other words, you know, if it wasn't for good public relations work, an event or an organization might have fallen between the cracks. Yes. So one of my clients is a very tiny, new, unknown, rare disease organization. I mean, you talk about trying to give voice to the voiceless. Stiff person syndrome is a one in a million disease. How on earth do you get the word out? How do you get people to care about something they will never be affected by? I knew the Washington Post had a medical mysteries column. The CEO who has this rare disease, it took her years to get a good diagnosis. And so we crafted a pitch that basically told her medical journey with all of her records as a mystery. And it also helps that she's compelling. In her past life, she was a dentist. She was a third degree black belt in karate. 
and this disease stopped her in her tracks. And now she started this research foundation to increase awareness worldwide. And on top of that, she was willing to be vulnerable and share those records. So ultimately the post covered the story. Wow. That's, that's, I, I got chills. That is an amazing story. Give us your top five or so tips for getting free publicity. Number one, find your characters. You know, people your organization has helped who are willing to talk about the impact. Number two, I'd say pay attention to the news cycle. Hit when the topic is hot. If you can, connect your story to that big story. And don't wait to invite the media after something has happened. Invite them in when it's going to happen. Number three, I'd say, don't be afraid to collaborate with other organizations to launch a big campaign. They may have resources you don't. They may get more of the spotlight. They may get more of the money. But if you get some, you've still accomplished your mission. Number four, be super responsive to the media. Give them your cell phone number. Answer texts right away. Reporters are on such tight deadlines. If they cannot reach you in the moment, they will probably move on to the next story. And I guess my fifth tip would be, again, if you can't get traditional media like radio, newspaper, TV, or even untraditional, the podcasters, the bloggers, always know you can be your own production house through your social media platforms. Heavy up on social media because it's free, right? That's right. Well, uh, yeah, I wanna make a point about that in a minute, but I'm gonna wait until we get there. Okay, okay. <laughs> So Kimberly, everything that we've discussed has been extremely helpful, but what about what I call inside PR? You know, making sure that everyone in the organization knows what's going on as well as spreading the word outside the organization. Yeah, for a small nonprofit, this is so important because basically your chief commodity is awareness. It can't just come from your PR person or your CEO. Every employee, every volunteer needs to be on board. Everyone needs to push the mission, share the publications, recruit volunteers, find those donor dollars. Reporting back to the team about PR wins makes people feel good too about what they're doing. Like, hey, we got an interview with the local paper or hey, we got a hundred likes on a photo or did you know we increased our subscribers by 100% year to year? I mean, those are major motivators for the entire organization and really important to everyone feeling the reward of nonprofit work. So what if I don't have an event or anything? I just, I just want people to know about what it is that my nonprofit does. So what can we do to promote our nonprofit? Joe, I have to be honest, in my reporting career, I'd say about 5% of my coverage went to an event and 95% to people with compelling stories. So you want to provide more than just an interview and consider, you know, is there a descriptive location to hold it? Is there something going on? Are there documents and facts we can provide? Do we have photos and video even that we have that we can share? You want your pitch to be multidimensional. The old days of just a ribbon cutting, it's very hard to get the press to go cover something like that. So you want to consider all the different elements that you can bring to the story to make it come alive. You said 5% events. Does that mean that the media really doesn't care about my event? 
It just depends. It depends. If your event is coming in the middle of a very hot news topic and there's a protest and we've been waiting on the police chief to step out or the superintendent to say something, yes, we care about your event. But if you're a nonprofit and you are wrapping gifts for Christmas, you're going to have to work hard to make the media care about your event in all the ways that we described. Finding those compelling characters, setting something up so reporters can be there in the moment. And then of course, if they don't show up, covering it yourself. So let me ask you this one. This is always the loaded question of the day. Is there a question that I did not ask that you'd like to talk about? Look, you and I are both journalists at heart and storytelling goes back to the caveman. <laughs> so it's never going away. If you think there's not a chance your story can be told, you're wrong. It is important to have a compelling character who's overcome something, who's lived to tell about it. There, You can't understate the importance of a compelling character, no matter what you do, no matter how big or small your organization is, if you have a compelling character who has an amazing story to tell, you can find a way to get it out. So the takeaway then today is have a story, have something to say, something to tell. Absolutely. And storytelling isn't one dimensional anymore. You will find at newspapers, they are still curating video. And you'll find at TV stations, they're talking to the radio stations. So the more multidimensional your story can be, the more elements you can provide, the better the chance you'll get coverage. You know, Kimberly, one of the things I enjoy most about this podcast is when I feel like I should have been taking more notes than I was because the information is so good. Hopefully, Kimberly, our listeners, we're taking notes today because you have offered us some amazing tips. I have to thank you so much for joining us today on Impactability. It was really fun to talk with you, and I hope that our discussion today helps those nonprofits out there who deserve the spotlight. Remain optimistic. You're going to get it. Thanks for the opportunity, Joe. It's time once again for another edition of Coach's Corner. This is where we take the questions that you have. They could be absolutely anything in the nonprofit world. Maybe you just want some advice about something. Maybe there's just something that you've got a disagreement on at the office and you want someone else to weigh in on it. Whatever the question is, you send them to us and then we in turn ask our impact coaches your questions and see what kind of answers they can get for you, which is always so much fun. Today's impact coach is Cheryl Sukup. She is the president of Sukup Strategic Solutions. And Cheryl, this is a great question. I know we talk a lot about boards and, and you and I have discussed off mic that we could go for weeks talking about all of the nooks and crannies, all the strategies when it comes to board, board development and everything. But this one, this one we haven't talked about before. So Cheryl, here is your question. I need to lead our board in a performance evaluation. Where should I start? Now, Cheryl, on Coach's Corner, you have five minutes to answer the question and your five minutes begins right now. Thank you, Joe. 
doing a board evaluation, performance evaluation can be a sensitive subject. People don't always love being evaluated. It can bring up difficult feelings and difficult conversations, but your board's performance is so critical to the success of your nonprofit organization. So you want to be constantly striving for excellence in nonprofit governance. So as a result, you have to evaluate your board. And when you're doing an evaluation of any kind, you really should be evaluating performance against a certain set of standards or expectations. So where do you start? The place that you should really start is with best practices. Understanding governance best practices and evaluating your board against those best practices is going to be really the most effective way to take that information and use it for improvement. Um, so whether you, you are an individual board member who is being evaluated or you are the board chair wanting to evaluate the full board, it can bring up some difficult conversations. So you want to do this in a way that's very sensitive and you want to plan for it to be a positive experience. So there are some ways that you can make it more positive. One is to perform the board evaluation as a self-evaluation. People who are in leadership positions tend to have good, strong emotional intelligence. So they have the ability to take a look at themselves and be honest with themselves about how they're doing. A sample question for a board self-evaluation survey would be, the board has a full understanding of the roles and responsibilities of a board of directors. In that question, you're referring to the board as a whole. Does the full board understand their roles and responsibilities? An accompanying question for a survey directed at individual board members would be, I understand my responsibilities as a member of the board. So individual board members and the board as a whole both have slightly different responsibilities. So the job description for an individual board member and the responsibilities of the full board, there are, there are a few things that are, are different. An individual is responsible for certain things and the full board is responsible collectively for certain things. So um, this is where you can apply those standards to either an individual board member's performance or the performance of the board as a whole. And so if you create an environment in which they can be honest, at not only with themselves, but with the rest of the board or the board chair or, or the governance committee, you are more likely to get an evaluation that is useful. So how do you do that? How do you provide for anonymity and a safe environment for your board members to be completely and totally transparent and, and honest? One way you can do that is to hire an outside consultant to provide a board evaluation tool and then to evaluate those results from individuals and then to produce a report for you that is anonymous. The consultant can also provide you with some guidance or suggestions, uh, advice on how to use the information that you found. So that's one way you can handle it. If you don't want to hire a consultant and you want to do it yourself, a, a DIY way that you can handle this is to use a standard tool and deliver that to the board and just have the board chair only know those results. So that's a little bit more difficult because there is one person on the board that is going to know who said what. And so that creates a little bit of risk 
for the individual board member who wants to perhaps say something about how the board is being led. So the tool that you're going to use is most likely a survey, and that's really the most efficient way to gather the information from individual board members. So who should really lead this process? My recommendation would be that if you have a governance committee, that you have the governance committee lead this process, whether you are hiring a consultant or you are doing it yourself. Um, the governance committee can collect the information and evaluate the information and then decide what recommendations they have to the board as a whole on how to address the information that they find, the results that they find from the surveys. But if there is concern about confidentiality, then perhaps all of the results should go only to the board chair. And then the board chair would then produce an anonymous report that is confidential. All the individual uh, responses would be confidential. You can get support from the executive director to administer the survey. But again, if you're talking about best practices in governance, one of the roles of a board of directors is hiring and supporting supervising and terminating an executive director. So if they're responsible for the executive director, then there should be questions in your performance evaluation about the executive director, the board's relationship with the executive director. So it may not be wise to have the executive director receive all the individual responses. There are really two levels of evaluation you wanna consider. One is an evaluation of the full board, the board as a whole and how it is performing its duties. And then there is the evaluation of individual directors. And I am of the belief that individual directors should do a self-evaluation of both themselves and of the full board. And then those results can be compared, they can be aggregated and compared against one another. So Joe, those are just some suggestions. There's so much more information that could be shared about this. You're right. This is one of those topics that we could just talk about forever and ever. So I know I only had five minutes. I hope I made it in time and I wish everybody luck in evaluating their board of directors. Yeah, it is a tough subject, Cheryl. Thank you so much for addressing it. You addressed it head on, which is the kind of thing you need to do for a question like this. So thank you so much for being with us today on Impactability. Thank you, Joe. If you've got a question for Coaches Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit. <laughs>